From NPR Music, you're connected to All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan, and today we celebrate the 70th anniversary of Smithsonian Folkways Records. From the sounds of Lead Belly to the recordings of Southwestern Woodhouse Toads, Smithsonian Folkways has been capturing the sounds of history for these past 70 years. These recordings include labor songs of Woody Guthrie, the children's songs of Ella Jenkins, New Orleans hot jazz, songs of the civil rights movements, honk horn music of Ghana, and so much more. And on this anniversary of its birth, May Day 1948, we celebrate this national treasure with a look at its rich history, beginning with visionary Moses Ash to its current director and curator, Heb Skippers. And today on All Songs Considered, a conversation with that unlikely keeper of the great American record label, a music nerd who grew up in the Netherlands, and he's helping make this label more accessible and relevant in the 21st century. My father was a label manager for Decca and Deutsche Grammophon. So I grew up, my father had like 16 meters of LPs on the wall. So I didn't have... One Don Giovanni, but there was 17 John Giovannis <laughs> there that I could all compare, which was really <laughs> fascinating. And then I had a concert about orchestra around the corner, so they went to classical music. And then I rebelled and went into Indian classical music in the 70s, uh, mid-70s, and became a sitar player. But how many kids did you know that did any of that, listen to Don Giovanni or North Indian classical or um, music? Indian classical music, not many at the time. Although we t- We're we talking had, about we, what year, by the way? Uh, it's 1975. Okay. So we had, we, had the, we had the 60s where, of course, with George Harrison and, and, and Ravi Shankar, um, sitar became a very visible instrument. Mm. And one of his students moved to Amsterdam and all my friends were playing guitar and piano, I thought, I'll never be as good as they are. I'm going to do something that I'll be better at. And sure enough, five years in, I was probably one of the best Dutch sitar players because <laughs> nobody else lasted. <laughs> it's a bit like the Flight of the Concords, uh, where they are complaining to the manager that they never have any gigs and, and they never fill the hall. I said, but last week you just filled the hall. I said, yes, but that was in an elevator. I said, oldest <laughs> trick in the book, book a small venue and sell it out. <laughs> so my sitar playing is a bit like that. That's, uh, that is awesome. You've been now at Smithsonian Folkways for a couple of years. Almost two years, yeah. And what's been the most favorite thing to do? Like, I I have no idea what your day-to-day is like. Favorite things to do is to find exciting new things that we can turn into albums. We curate sound. The nature of the record business, of course, has changed several times in the past 70 years. And when Moash was beginning, he found all these sounds that nobody had heard. And he said, oh, my God, nobody's ever heard Vietnamese music. We can put a Vietnamese music right. album out. Or well, nobody's heard the sounds of North American frogs, and we can put that out. <laughs> can, can I just do this? The air is rapidly forced back and forth over the vocal cords at approximately 75 times per second <laughs> to produce a high-pitched trill of the southern toad, Bufo terrestris, for example. <laughs> I love a record label that can do this and then do this. And this is? This is uh, uh, Rahim Al-Hajj, his new uh, album, One Sky. Let's listen to a little.
you've described your love and passion for this sort of music. Tell me about this artist. Is this record out now? Uh, Rahima Hajj is, yes. is, is coming out this month, and um, we this is the third album we do with Rahim. And Rahim is a refugee from Iraq, and I'm very passionate about going back to something that Moash was quite passionate about as well, to have either explicit or implicit comments on the great conversations of the day. So uh, what do we do with Muslim immigrants, for instance? Uh, there, there's real problems with how people perceive Muslims in America, and I'm interested in showing different sides. So his Letters from Iraq, his previous album, was based on actual letters from Iraq during the war, which he put to music. The war being the 90, the first uh, Gulf War? or the, 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 the Iraqi War, yeah. yeah. So by showing the creative interpretation of, of something which caused a lot of suffering, you get a different perspective on things. And, and similarly, I want to do something with the sound of Muslim women in America to also to show that they are have a very constructive view of how they need to lead their lives, how they, they experience Ramadan. I think there's so many misconceptions and what we hoped would, would have changed with the development of the internet, that everybody would be really well informed and have very, very balanced opinions, it hasn't quite happened. So, so people get very niche sources for, for, for their information. And I think there's, there's a real job for the Smithsonian and for a label like Folkways to help people think, not decide for them, but just help them think, inform them and say, hey, this also exists. We're going to do a CD with poetry from American prisons. But how do you, how does Folkways get people to hear this scope of things. I think there's a hunger in people nowadays to not be told what to like anymore. So the, we were talking about algorithms that, that decide that if you listen to three country and western songs, they'll pipe 24 hours of country western songs through your Spotify. Um, we want to be kind of the antidote to algorithms. So if you like this, try and get your ears around this. And not everybody, not every listener does that. There are people that just listen to music for comfort and for, for, for something that they recognize or as part background. of their identity or background. But it's a bit like your tiny desk concert. So people say, let's see what Bob's got on this time. And I want to return Folkways to, to that label, to that label and say, let's see what Folkways brought out now. Wow, Anne Elizabeth, it sounds like folk music, but they use synthesizers and they mm -hmm. use new soundscapes. What's happening here? Uh, let's play a little bit of that, uh, Anna Elizabeth. Uh, I've got a cook here called The uh, Irish Patriot. Yep. I stood beneath those lofty palms on India's burning shore. Listening to the tiger's howl And the savage lion's roar As I stood gazing on the scene Was only bleak and dreary Thank you. 
diverge a little from the idea of how do we get people to hear these wide-ranging sounds. This is Anna and Elizabeth. This is The Invisible Comes to Us as the album. It's a current uh, Smithsonian Folkways record. And we talked to Anna and Elizabeth on the podcast, but for those who didn't hear it, they did some deep digging. Like, they've always been into uh, finding the origins of things. When when Anna Elizabeth came on the horizon for us uh, through through John Smith, who's doing A&R for us, A&R is artist and repertoire for those who are outside of this world, uh, exactly. basically looking for great new art. Yeah, um, I was so delighted because these are people that have profound interest in in the depth of things. So they spend days and days in the Library of Congress, in uh, obscure archives in Vermont. They go to the houses where songs were were created to get the the atmosphere of the house where it was done. But then they reinvent them in a way that makes sense for now. And to me, musical traditions are never static. So they're they're always always in movement. So people said, oh my God, do you bring it out on folkways? Uh, To the very fact that they're they're signing artists again in in Americana. And of course we are, because Woody Guthrie was alive. He was sitting at Mo Ash's desk and Mo Mo got him sandwiches and and drinks when when he came to to, uh, do that. He doodled at his desk. We got many of those doodles in in our archives. So... I think folkways has to be be a label that has both the, the great historical respect that we have because of the sixty thousand tracks that we have going back seventy years, but at the same time, how many sixty thousand tracks? Wow! So they're all online and available, which is really quite amazing. When Smithsonian acquired folkways, so that was about thirty years ago in nineteen eighty-seven, and what they promised. Um, folkways is that they would keep every single recording available in perpetuity, which has always been Mo's philosophy. And all the labels we've acquired since, like Ahuli, uh, we promise people that we keep these recordings available forever, which no sane record label does, because (laughs) it's commercially not a very good principle, but for something that is between a record label and the National Museum of Sound, it makes very good sense, and it gives access to these things. So, so and Elizabeth and, and, and other artists, I mean, also people like Bruce Springsteen, they go back to the Folkways catalog because they find stuff that inspired them or that inspired them when they were six years old. Do you know anything in particular that inspired Mr. Bruce? That, uh... Uh, he was very inspired by Pete Seeger. He actually did an entire Pete Seeger cover album. Let's pull a Pete Seeger cut. Let me play. How about if uh, I'll, I'll play like one of the kidsy uh, hmm. songs from uh, Pete Seeger. What'd you learn in school today? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that Washington never told a lie. I learned that soldiers seldom die. I learned that everybody's free. And that's what the teacher said to me. That's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? 
I learned that policemen are my friends I learned that justice never ends I learned that murderers die for the crimes Even if we make a mistake sometime And that's what I learned in school today That's what I learned in school Wow. Um, I chose this song because of its ridiculous relevance for now, so... All of these things. I was actually talking to Tony Seeger uh, about this, and I said, "Isn't it sad that we all these things that we thought we had learned, we really haven't learned, and we have to learn again and again and again?" And he says, "Yes, this, this is why Guthrie songs and Pete Seeger's songs are still as relevant today as the, when as they were when they came out." If Mo Ash, the founder of uh, Folkways, came into the offices. Uh, at the Smithsonian mm-hmm. today, and it's celebrating its 70th birthday. Hmm. What would he think of the state of the label? I'd love to have that conversation <laughs> with him. I, I, I mean, I truly, uh, so sometimes people dream of what, what are the people you want to have around your table. I, I'm really sad that I never got to meet Mo Ash. I, I get along very well with his son, Michael Ash, and many people around him. And coming from, as you probably can hear from my accent, I'm, I come from outside of this, this country and coming into this country and having people come into my office that show 30 years, 20 years, 40 years of Folkways history slowly puts the, all the bits of the puzzle together. But of course, I've never met Mo but yet I feel that I'm trying to direct and curate the label very much in the spirit, in the, in the spirit of social engagement, in the spirit of curating sounds to, to delight and, and engage people in different ways and to make them think about things. Um, also going back to education, education was always very important to, to Mo and, and we're planning to make all of our 60,000 tracks available to 80 million people enrolled in education in, in, in this country. How would you do that? Is that a, a, so schools would have access to the to the library? They would, but the, the thing is, um, I struggle to find my way through the 60,000 tracks. So if I was an eight-year-old Latino kid in West L.A., I don't know how I would find it. So what we're going to be designing is learning pathway through things. So if you want to learn about the civil rights movement, listen to these 20 tracks. Oh, and that's we'll, a great idea. So, so that's the, the big project we're doing for, for the next uh, few years. Also to address the inequity that you have in your schooling in, in, in this country. So for a developed country, um, America is one of the most inequitable schooling systems in terms of funding per student and the funding in relation to the needs of particular students. And by making this available free, for which I still need a sponsor, so anyone who wants to phone, by all means do, by making these things free, everybody will have access to this and can find their own way. So we, we make it so that it's available for classroom use, for blended learning, where there's, there's somebody facilitating the learning, and for completely independent learning. It's a very exciting project. And be- now we have the technology to do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We talked a, a little about folks like Anna and Elizabeth, people who are current artists making music today that I'm sure Mo Ash would have loved and approved mm-hmm. of. But what about capturing different... like? I'm just imagining plopping down back to Earth, which mm-hmm. would be a nice thing yeah. to have mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. And, and then wanting to survey the landscape and think about who the quote-unquote folk are today. And in some ways, uh, they're the kid in the bedroom with the laptop as much as they are, right? As much as the guitar player, on the banjo player on the porch image, which, you know, whatever right was back then. So are you doing anything to try to capture that spirit of what is happening in the culture today with... Uh, both older people and younger people. And Very much so. Um, as you know, we are bringing out a huge box set together with the African American History and Culture Museum, which is the anthology of hip-hop and rap. 
And we uh, have made that part of the African-American Legacy Series uh, in consultation with Lonnie Bunch, the director of that museum, because it's part of the African-American Legacy, as well as the Macintosh shouters and as well as as traditional sounds of of New Orleans. And how about around the world? Because that was such an... For me growing up, (laughs) hearing recordings from not just the porches and and the current folk, but hearing music from all over was so impactful and I think impactful on a generation of people who are making music. Absolutely. The situation with that has changed a little bit. So when Mo Ash was bringing out the music of Korean uh, music, by the way, during the Korean War, it must have been a GI, they came back and similarly with Vietnamese music. That was the first time that people could hear that music at all. Now, if you Google in Wagogo music from Tanzania, there's 24 for video clips, YouTube clips of Wagogo music, which is fantastic music. Do Google that by all means. So we're not the first people that can bring that music to people. So what we can do is curate those things. For instance, as a sequel to the anthology of hip-hop and rap, which which focuses on American rap, I would love to do an in- international anthology of hip-hop and rap, which is includes Ukrainian rap and, and right. um, Gambian rap and everything. And the way rap has been assimilated by people in the suburbs of Paris, by Muslims in suburbs of Paris, and by ironic Indians that sing about, that rap about arranged marriages, is absolutely fascinating to me. So I can, can envisage us doing a sequel of Rap Around the World in, in, in uh, which is actually not a bad title. That's a great title. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for, for it. Um, uh, and making people aware of how not only that rap is a powerful genre that has influenced an entire generation because it's one of the most influential cultural phenomena of the last decades, but also that it's interpreted in such different ways and by understanding that and enjoying that, we get to learn about how people work. And ultimately, the great thing about working in music is that it says something really profound about humanity and our shared humanity. It, it says something about what we are as people, and including how flawed we are. It's not about human perfection. So it's not all um, the art of the fugue by Bach, which is not a not too bad piece of music. But uh, it's also things that have to do with, with flaws and with irony and with, with protest and with struggle and with our incompetence to deal with the universe, which we show again and again and again. One, one of the things when I came into to this label, because the last thing I did was being a professor at the university, so I really had to shift, mind shift, uh, think about the, the music industry. And as we know, it, it changed very rapidly over the past. So the technicalities and the economic models changed very drastically. So the most fun thing, and this goes back to your earlier question, the most fun thing that I have is I go into work every day and say, how can we make a label like Folkways make sense? And how can we serve people that are hungry for interesting music. Uh, one of the projects we've got going is we're bringing out, a, bringing out a box set on the social power of music, which is related to the Folklife Festival in 2019. And now we're also bringing out a box set of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival to celebrate their 50th anniversary next year. And we create collaborations which make that financially and economically possible. But at the same time, we will make... 50 years of an incredible festival available to people in essays, in pictures, in liner notes, in, in, in sounds. And I find that very exciting. So how we can 
guide people to widen their musical scope. And it's it's been the story of my life as well. So I started in Western classical music, then discovered, well, then of course went through the whole popular music of the, the late 60s and early 70s, but then got hooked on Indian classical music. From there, moved on to other music in Asia, got completely hooked on African music. When I first started hearing music from Central Africa, the U Tracy recordings, I just thought, oh my God, these guitars are out of tune and they sound so good. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's all these this these beautiful things that and we we everybody has their own path of exploration. The, the music from the world of Islam, the the breadth, the depth of of, of that stuff from court music to to Um Kulthum and and to learn that when Um Kulthum, the great Egyptian singer, was singing her uh, her weekly program, pretty much all of the world of Islam mm. was off the streets and near their radios because you didn't want to miss miss her. So these these larger than Maria Callas uh, kind of phenomena, which which we don't even learn about in school or in even in university when you study music. So there's so much to explore, and and that's the exciting part of my job. So I'm, I'm going to do something really random here because I don't know her voice and now yeah. I need to. Yeah. And uh, this isn't something on, on Smithsonian Folkways, but uh, I'm just going to play. There's a best of Um Kalsum. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. And it's O-U-M, new word, K-A-L-S-O-U-M. And I'm randomly going to play the very first song on the first record uh, that I've called up here. It's a best of record. So yeah. Yeah. This is one of her old recordings, as you can hear from yeah. the quality of the sound. Let's just listen together. I'm going to uh, later tonight <laughs> turn everything else off and, and turn this on. I, I, for a while, when, when internet radio first came uh, into my life uh, a, a bit ago, I, I would just s- type in some country name hmm. and up would pop a station yeah. and yeah. I'd spend a day listening hmm. to it. And it was just so much fun. I just imagine something like your uh, label having some sort of subscription with, forget, what the price would be. I'm going to say just a, for a couple of dollars yeah. <laughs> a, a month that it would just send me things, randomly yeah. send me things. Because like you say, we are bombarded by what we already know we like or mm. something yeah. similar to what we like. And we're all in our little worlds, just buried in these tiny mm. little worlds that we would probably love to escape and just don't know how. And your label is just full of and rich with that. Yeah, in fact, we have that already. So you do. We, so tell me more. We have a we have <laughs> a membership program. So so we've started a membership program uh, for our seventieth specifically, and we've just launched it, and it gives people access to to the entire catalogue of uh, sixty thousand <laughs> tracks, which is which yeah. is not bad. But <laughs> at the same time, uh, we also, of course, all our new releases, we we. Um, 
we highlight, but we are also thinking of sending things. Why don't you listen to this? So why don't you listen to that? Because I can't listen to everything in the world, um, but we have such a network of people. Um, on the first of May, we're actually gathering in the Smithsonian Castle, which is the which is May Day is the anniversary, and that's not yes, a coincidence. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> so, so uh, the first of May, nineteen forty-eight, the folkways recordings uh, was uh, incorporated, and we're celebrating that with two hundred people that have played a role in, in the history of the label. So, I'm really looking forward to have the Castle Commons filled with the history of this this place, which will be quite an, an amazing thing. So, the Ash family will be there, but the Guthrie family. Will will be there, the Seeger family will be there, the Leadbelly family will be there. So gathering all of this this, this together will be, be quite exciting. But going back to the membership, we want people to slowly find their way through this, this material. And, and once it's through that network, we get so many suggestions. Do you remember this this track or that? I just found out that we have the McCarthy hearings on, on, on folkways. Not exactly. Where, 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 <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't Google McCarthy hearings <laughs> folkways. Uh, exactly. It's not the first association you make. But Mo Ash said, this is important. And we know how important it is now. So he, he had a really good ear and a really good sense for, for what would be important for the future. His dream was to make an encyclopedia sound, which I think is impossible to do. But realistically, it is a very interesting anthology of sound. And if he didn't capture that, there would be so much uh, that we would have lost. So he, there's so much in our culture that I am touched by every day by musicians making music today that were influenced, whether they know it or not, by the fact that Mo Ash and others recorded this stuff for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and he very emphatically left it for us. So he didn't say, I can sell it to somebody else for more money. He actually said, I want it to be at Smithsonian because they are the most likely to guarantee availability in perpetuity, whatever perpetuity may yeah, mean. Right. Um, one other thing uh, that I wanted to say, we were talking about what do we do now in recording music now? Uh, so we did, uh, we, we're doing the Smithsonian Anthology of Hip Hop and Rap and, and thinking of taking that international but one thing we're also thinking of doing, actually we started doing, is to look at a next generation of musicians that have different cultural backgrounds and have come to America but grown up here and use that mix of backgrounds. So we're working with Sonny Jane of, of Red Barat. He's going to make an Wonderful. album called Wild East. And he's going to, he's sort of playing with the idea of being an Indian in America. And he's going to explore the, the worlds of sounds that he really knows well. If you remember the fusion of the 1960s and 1970s, it was very well intended. It was, uh, isn't it cool? We have a djembe or a sitar or a didgeridoo in our band, but nobody understood each other particularly well. So you don't really listen to those recordings more than once, unless it's Shakti and, and bands like that who really had their act together. I feel there's a new generation growing up where that mixing of culture comes very natural. And we see it in literature already. So so many writers come with multiple cultural baggage mm -hmm. and they win literary prizes because they're more interesting. And similarly, I think that now we have a second wave of, of fusion and I would like Folkways to be the second wave of fusion. And I would love to defend that to Mo Ash if he came into my office tomorrow. That's awesome. And if you want to bring one of those fusions to a Tiny Desk concert, I am there. Excellent. I shall. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for doing this today. Thanks, Paul. Ab Skippers is the director and curator of Smithsonian Folkways. There's so much more to see and read and hear of their rich history at Smithsonian Folkways online. We have a playlist of 70 songs they selected on the All Songs Considered website. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's All Songs Considered.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club, where every bottle tells a story and NPR shows become wines, like Weekend Edition Cabernet Sauvignon. Available to adults 21 years or older. Learn more at nprwineclub.org.